Welcome to the Slow Wealth Podcast. Success lives on elevation. My name is Kendra. And I'm Ramon. And we are here to help you elevate your wealth. You can reach us at investatslowwealth.com. Please remember to subscribe. And again, this is Kendra. And Ramon. All right. So today we got a five-part series for y'all. We're going to talk about pre-approval for loans and finding a lender, credit due diligence, uh, the differences between an FHA, a federal housing, and a conventional loan, uh, credit inquiries for pre-approval, and debt-to-income ratio lender requirements. Now, these are things that we went through. This may not be the same for everybody. This is not a cookie-cutter process. So we just want to make sure that the information that you're receiving from us is just our um, our experiences. So we'll kind of go through, um, our again, a pre-approval, credit due diligence, FHA, um, conventional differences, credit inquiries for pre-approval, and debt to income ratio, and the lender requirements that we had when we were going through um the financing process yes and you know we hope everybody's out there staying safe during this uh corona corona and sucker free (laughs) from the rona from the ronas so yeah uh you know hope everybody had a a good week so far hump day yes oh dang it is wednesday okay so, you know what, well, let's get right into it. So, our first subject is pre approval for the loan and, and finding, finding a lender. A lender. <laughs> so, pre approval for a loan. Explain to people what that is and the process as far as pre approval. So, basically, the pre approval process for mortgage is a promise from the lender that you're, that you're qualified to borrow up to a certain amount of money at a specific interest rate subject to a property appraisal and other requirements. With this meaningful promise, you'll be likely to get the home you deserve due to your credit worthiness. Yeah, it sounds like you read that. So yeah, you know, pre-approval basically when you guys are starting out and you're going to look for even a house or if it's a two-unit, three-unit, four-unit, you got to get pre-approved first. Um, and it's important to get pre-approved so you know what you qualify for, you know, how much of a house do you qualify for. And then also when you uh, are, are getting a, a realtor, when you have a real estate agent, uh, most most will not work with you they will not show you a house. They won't show you anything without a pre-approval letter. That lets them know that you're serious and that you've already done uh, your your first part, and that's getting approved with the lender. So they can see that, and then also the seller can see that. So whatever property that you end up finding, you're going to give that to the seller so the seller knows that, okay, this person is serious. They've already been pre-approved uh, for a certain amount. Let's go. Yes. And and with that said, too, um, there is a difference between pre-approval and pre-qualification. 
There is a difference. To be pre-qualified, the lender gets basic information about your credit, debt, income, and assets, and then they tell you how much you may be able to borrow. Whereas, again, with a pre-approval, you have this meaningful promise that you have up to a certain amount um, that you'll be likely to um, receive upon your credit worthiness. So I just want to throw that out there. And that is correct because there is a difference. So some people get that mixed up. They say, oh, I was pre-qualified or, you know, oh, I was pre-approved. And, you know, like she said, that is a difference and you have to know the difference. Uh, you just have to know the difference. But you always want to have a pre-approval letter. Letter. A and, any, and when you find the agent, that's going to be one of the first questions they ask you. Do you have a pre-approval letter? Are you working with a lender? Mm-hmm. And in most cases, if you don't have a lender, or, you know, if you never spoken to a lender, most agents have their network of, you know, lenders that they may usually deal with. And I'm sure they'd be more than happy to send them your way. Yes, absolutely. So we should talk about, too, um... The credit due diligence. I well, mean, let let's 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 first. Okay, we we stated the pre approval for the loan, mm-hmm. um, and you know let let's let's make sure that we we really kind of go in depth just on on that part because they are important. Um, and tell them how do you get pre approved for a loan? If I say okay, I'm ready to buy, I want to buy a duplex. Mm-hmm. How do I go about getting pre-approved to go buy a duplex? Well, to get pre-approved for a duplex, you put in applications. I'll say applications because it's probably good to do. Well, normally it's good to do more than one with um, different banks. Um, So you'll put in an application. They'll run your credit um it, it at first is it a soft inquiry that they run or is it a hard inquiry so we can touch on that real quick and we don't want to lose track so there's two things with your credit and they're called soft inquiries and hard inquiries a soft inquiry is when um it doesn't show up on your credit so a lot of banks and if you have credit cards a lot of credit card companies do what's called a soft inquiry, and that means that they'll go and check your credit, and you don't, you won't even know it. But if you ever get uh, credit line increases, most likely that's how, because they're checking your credit to see how you're managing your credit. And if you're managing your credit good, then they'll increase your credit line. That's a soft inquiry. You don't have to apply for it. You don't have to do anything. They'll just go in there and check it. The hard inquiry is when you actually go online and fill out an application, uh, whether it's for a credit card or whether you go in a bank to apply for a loan, you actually fill out that, that application and you're putting down your social security number. They're going to do what is called the hard inquiry. They're, they're actually they're, pulling your credit. They're actually pulling your credit and that does show mm-hmm. up on your credit report. And hard inquiries stay on your credit report for two years. That means that don't go out there and be frivolous and start applying for everything because you're going to have a bunch of inquiries that's going to be on your credit and they don't fall off for two years. Yes. So um, to apply 
um, for pre-approval, excuse me, to receive a pre-approval, you will apply for um, a mortgage loan. And the bank will tell you, the bank will tell you, you are approved for this amount. Now on the letter, it doesn't, I, I know when we received our letter, we didn't put the total amount that we were approved for because then people, um, the seller may like try to negotiate the price to go up or something. Um, so we were approved. How did how did we um, help me out here? So 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 first, let's say <clears throat> is when you find a lender, and you go in there, they're going to ask you for a bunch of information, and that's going to consist of like your paycheck stubs. So, uh, yeah, your paycheck stubs and uh, your bank statements. Um, they what the, what the lender is really, really doing is they're trying to see um, how much income you have, what your debt, your credit is going to look like, so they can know how much they want to lend to you. And so when we first went in, we had to give all this information to the lender. He came back. You know, he told us the amount that we were pre-approved for. So once we had that amount, it was on a letter. Then we knew, okay, now we can go out and find a property that does not exceed this amount that we are pre-approved for. Mm -hmm. So when you find an agent, they have that, so then they know, okay, we're going to go look for properties up to this amount. Now, as a side note, just because you were pre-approved for, let's say you're pre-approved for 200000 that doesn't necessarily mean that if you found the property for, let's say, 210000 that you won't get it. That's just really a guide based off of your current situation as far as your finances. So, but it's just kind of a, you know, let's find something around two hundred. Now, if you find a really good deal for like 210000 then, you know, by all means, go ahead and, and see what you can do to see if you can try to get approved for it. Uh, but once you go through that point, and the lender gives you the pre-approval letter, you guys go out, you find you a good agent. You find an agent, and then that's kind of where you just go forth and you're just searching for properties and and all of that kind of stuff. So did we kind of touch on that enough? Yeah, I think the pre-approval is good. But again, if that letter is for 200, or if you're pre-approved for up to 200,000 and you see something for 150 and you're like, oh, I want this house. The letter will not, the bank will make it. Um, so when uh, you make an offer, it'll say this person is approved for 150,000 instead of saying for 200,000 because some sellers are unscrupulous and dishonest and will try to, um, you know, get you to pay more. Meaning if I'm a seller and I'm selling my house for 200,000, and I see your pre-approval letter say that you are pre-approved up to two hundred twenty thousand. Then I might want to <laughs> raise the price, <laughs> raise the on, price. My, on my property because yeah. I know that you approve for more than what I'm asking for. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a, a side note again for those when you go out there to make sure that your pre-approval letter does not state how much you're approved for. Now, you can have that for your realtor, mm-hmm. but so you and your realtor knows, but you don't want your seller to know what you're approved for. 
Yeah. Because so. then, like she said, that can open up, uh, you know, that can open up some things down the line where if you guys are under contract and you start negotiating, that the seller might not be willing to negotiate with you when they know how much you can actually be pay. approved for, yeah. you can actually pay. So that's a, that's something you, you guys want to keep note of. Yeah, and we, um, <clears throat> it took us a while to find a lender to get pre-approved. Somebody that we were satisfied with, like working with a, um, <laughs> working with uh, Mike and Bill. <laughs> Mike was a trip. Uh, Ramon will have to tell you the story about working directly with Mike because I, I only spoke to him on a couple of occasions, but I remember being like, he's fired. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, when you into this business, you know, and I think like a lot of businesses, you gotta, you, you're gonna go through a lot of people because you're gonna get people who will say they know everything or pretend that they know a lot and it may seem like that on the front end and then as time go on, you will see that that was not the case. And so, you know, with our first uh, loan officer. Well, so it, let's give a little background history, too. So when we came into this, as we said in our first podcast, um, we had a mentor and our mentor advised us to get multi units, either a duplex, a triplex, which is three units or a quadplex, which is four units. We decided to go with four units. Um, we were looking at um, a property in Tacoma, Washington at the time. And we had gotten our pre-approval letter from, no, we didn't get a pre-approval letter from Mike, did we? We did. We did get a pre-approval letter. He said we couldn't get over... I forget how much the amount was. He said we didn't qualify for an amount that we knew we would qualify for because Ramon was running the numbers as um, as we were speaking to Mike. Um, you know, we were also doing some of the calculations ourselves to figure out, okay, well, what is it that we need to do to get to this amount to buy this four unit? Now, mind you, it was an FHA loan, which we'll talk about a little later. So we knew we had to live on site and we could, um, you know, if we were re receiving this amount of rent, we would use that toward our mortgage and utilities and be able to live and pocket our money that we were that we were earning from our jobs. So <clears throat> with the pre-approval process with Mike, um, he had 10 years, he worked in the industry for 10 years with one day experience. <laughs> he knew everything and knew nothing at all. I mean, not about our situation. I think he was more or less, um, he had worked with people who just purchased homes and not multi-units. And that's one thing that you will find with a lot of lenders. You want to ask them, okay, have you worked with people who purchase multi-units because some people there is a difference between buying just one single home single family home and then buying two three and four units especially with three and four units it is a huge difference because <laughs> because you're earning income and they're taking an account of your income during this 
actually during the pre-approval process. Yes, and it's really important just because there's so many things that when you go through the process, when you're under contract, that you need to be asking for. Um, and a lot of documents, you know, uh, as far as leases and, and things of that nature, that you're not asking for that stuff when you're buying a house. And if you deal with uh, an agent who has so, you know, 98% of her deals or his deals are houses. Not an know, agent, a lender. Well, no, you're talking about a real estate agent because a real estate agent. Well, yeah, agent, them too. He's a, well, a lender, you know, a lot of lenders, they don't just deal with houses. A lot of, most banks, they, um, you know, they deal with all kind of uh, different properties. Yeah, but Mike specifically, that. that's who we're talking about specifically. Well, Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike on Mike's end, Mike um, didn't want to approve us or told we wouldn't be approved uh, for a certain amount, which uh, ended up later we were getting approved for that amount. When we found a different lender who was really good at the at the yeah like this dude was you know his name is uh what was his name Bob Bill Bill let's <laughs> say Bob Bill Bill yeah Bill. well see the thing that Bill did though with our pre approval process is he was very very specific about the information that we brought to him so when we went through that process Bill was like we want to have everything now. Let's get everything done now because during the closing process or, you know, uh, the financing process before closing, they'll ask you for documents. Oh, we need this. Oh, we need that. And that's usually the title and, or excuse me, the escrow uh-huh. asking, you know, the lender to tell the buyers, okay, that we need this. Now I need to, um, I need to verify this. Do they have this? Can they get that? And instead of all that, Bill said, you know what? Let's get all this information up front. So during the pre-approval process to make sure you have all the necessary information, go to your lender and say, what information do you need from me other than, you know, the credit report that they're going to pull, um, employ- employment verification, uh, paycheck stubs. Uh, if you have how much uh, money you have in the bank, yeah, they're going yeah. most likely want Bank like statements. Two, two, three months of pay, pay uh, stubs, two, three months of uh, checking accounts, you know, or your bank accounts, uh, your 401k statements. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have 401k, pretty much anywhere, anything you got money, they want to see it. They want and, to see it. Um, that helps your chances of it, getting a better qualification or better pre-approval. So don't be, don't <laughs> be hiding your money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're like, man, I got a hundred thousand in a hundred bed, but yeah, now nah, let them know mm-hmm. if you're trying to, you know, if you're really trying to get into this, because like you said, that's going to help your chances of getting approved for more. And you just, you know, you never know that extra, you know, whatever income you got could be the difference between you buying a, a duplex and a four unit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you just, you know, We'll let them know. So, uh, so let, let us say this. With Mike, we fired Mike because he wasn't on his job. He could have... Um, he was, yeah, he was so fired. He just, he really did not want to do the deal. He did not understand the, the whole investment part of it. It was more or less like, why aren't you guys getting a house? And we're like, we don't want a house. We want the tenants to buy our house. Man, we, that is so frustrating. We want to earn the income. 
it was hard to explain that to him. And then when he was, you know, he came to us and he was like, well, you guys aren't going to um, be approved for this amount. So you need to find something else. And we did find something else. We did find something else. It wasn't exactly what we wanted, but it was more or less what we could get. And the numbers worked. Um, the income worked. Mm -hmm. It was this property in Tacoma, Washington. Y'all, when I say the people on site was nasty, <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk Wait, about that. The inspections. The one on Cedar oh, in Tacoma. Oh, yeah, I, I I <laughs> Ooh, that was nasty. Yeah, yeah, y'all gone, you know. But you know what? Sometimes nasty properties is the best deals. No, the property was nice, but the people that lived in it was dirty. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was nice, yeah. But they were Section 8, too. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that, you know, oh. as we go. Not not, not, not today. That's, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a, a long podcast. podcast. But, uh, so, yeah, all right, we did a pre-approval. You know what I'm saying? We kind of talked about what you need to do uh, to go and get pre-approved for a loan. You know, just make sure you do... You know, find you a good lender. You know, if you know any, if you know people who've used the lender to buy houses or, or properties, you know, ask them, you know, about that lender and just make sure that they're kind of good. Um, Not kind of good. Make sure well, they are good. Make sure they are good, you know, because, you know, like she says, not everybody may not know what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, if you put that out there, um, that can help um, when you let them know lately, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build wealth. We're trying to, you know, stack our properties. We're trying to get in the game because, uh, you know, we don't want no house. Well, the question I think people are going to have, too, is when they're going through the pre-approval process, can you get more than one lender to pre-approve you? And if so, how does that appear on your credit? It's, it's going to mess your credit up. <laughs> yeah, you, can, uh, you can get, yeah, so I, I would say my advice is to find at least three lenders uh to because you they working for you they're they're working for your business so they don't get paid unless you get a deal so you know find you at least three lenders and that could be you know it could be u.s bank wells fargo and chase you know as an example i would go to all three of them and and go and you want to ask them you know uh what interest rates they're offering because one thing is that your interest rate on a house will be different if you're buying a duplex or a triplex or a four unit. And, you know, as we're going to talk about uh, the differences between the FHA and conventional, your interest rate can, can differ. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that when you're talking to these lenders, they will give you what they call a, uh, uh, it's like a pre-approval, but it's a, uh, I can't even think of the damn name. But it's basically a term sheet, um, and that's more of a commercial term, but it's basically a term sheet where it'll outline what your interest rate is. It'll outline any other terms. So you'll know ahead of time, and you know, you'll get your interest rate locked in. So if you go and, you, let's say you're buying a house with Chase, and they say, okay, we'll give you this house based on your credit and everything at 4% interest. Most banks will let you lock that rate in. So if something like this coronavirus happened again, and let's say the interest rate started going up uh, or down, your, your interest rate is locked in, especially if it goes up, because they would go up to like 5% when you don't have to worry because your interest rate is locked in. 
and they'll usually be locked in for um, I say most time it could be 30 to 60 days so if anything happens you know you don't have to worry about your interest rate changing as long as you close on that house or property within that amount of time um, and so like Kendra said you can go I would go to at least two to three lenders and and compare compare their terms you know their interest rates the APR um, their lender fees because some mm-hmm. some banks some lenders charge lender fees to just to do the the loan um, if they charge any points points are uh, points is basically uh, to help your interest rate so if your interest rate would be four and a half percent and let's say that would make your monthly payment two thousand a month if you wanted to get your monthly payment lowered, you can pay what they call points, discount points. And for every point is 1% of your loan. So if your loan is 200000 It's basically just buying down the rate. You're buying down the rate. So if, <clears throat> if your lender says we're going to charge you 1% uh, you can uh, as a discount to lower your rate, 1% is... I'm sorry, one point is 1% of your loan. So if the loan is $200,000, 1% of that is $2,000. And they will let you know how much your rate will decrease for every point. Mm-hmm. But there's the difference between discount points and just lender points. Mm-hmm. Because a discount point is what you'll, use, what you'll pay to lower your interest rate. A lender's points is what they'll charge you just to do your loan. Yeah. So some lenders, and it's mostly when you get into the multifamily where some lenders will charge you points just to do your loan. And it's really kind of a a, a cushion for them, you know, when it comes to like uh, their little fees, you know, in, in-house. Mm-hmm. Just um, some reassurance. Yeah, they'll, they'll just charge you a point or two. And, and if you start dealing with hard money. Um, we don't want to get into yeah, that. Yeah, we don't get to that, but, you know, they charge more points. But uh, it's kind of, so yeah, so basically, you know, that that's really what you want to do. Just make sure you guys do your research. And if you do two or three lenders and you get pre-approved for them, um, it doesn't hurt your credit if you do that within a certain amount of time. And you're probably will read or hear people say, well, you can apply for as many loans as you want uh, within two weeks or 30 days. I would go with two weeks to be on the safe side. But 30 days is more likely because what will happen is if you go and apply for three lenders and that's three hard inquiries, most uh, banks or anything that you go to apply for, whether credit card or anything, they're going to count those three hard inquiries as one because they can look at your credit and they can see that you were shopping for a home. So it's different if you go out and apply for three credit cards. That's going to be three separate hard inquiries that's going to be looked at as three separate hard inquiries. But when you're going to look for a home, everybody knows that you're going to have a few inquiries because you're shopping around. You're trying to find the, the, the bank, the lender with the best deal, with the best interest rate, the best terms. So I think we pretty much covered that. In, yeah, in, in we did. We definitely did. Um, and our, like a, like I was saying, our second lender, Bill, <clears throat> he was great. I mean, he explained all that to us and, um, as I said before, asked for all the necessary information up front. 
So we weren't digging for, oh, we got to get this for the lender. We need this bank statement and we need that and blah, 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 blah. We weren't trying to, you know, sporadically get this information. We just had it available. Here you go. You know, just gave it to them as a package. It just made life a lot easier. Um, so once you go into the process of receiving your pre-approval, have all your information at that time. If you don't know what you need to have, Let's 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 tell them some of the things that we know that they'll need to have to go get pre-approved with the lender. Well, the things that they need to get pre-approved with the lender, um, as I said, as we said before, you know, they get your credit score. Um, but they're gonna need like your bank statements. Bank statements. They need um, employment stuff. verification. Mm-hmm. Two months to three months for some. Um, uh, p- uh, paycheck stubs. Uh, if you've had a, a certain type of bankruptcy, they'll need um, discharge letters. If you are going through a divorce or you have child support, you need to provide mm-hmm. proof that you're paying or receiving that income. Alimony. Alimony payments. You want to have um, proof of that. If you sold um, drugs, they're going to need to see some financial No, <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> you are deleting that. <laughs> but if, um, depending on your credit worthiness and your credit situation, it depends on the information that will be required of you. But when you sit down or when you speak to your lender over the phone or by email, you definitely want to ask them, what information do you need? Because you don't want to be digging for this information at the last minute when the underwriter is like, I need this information. I have to have this today. If I can't have this today, this loan will not go through. You do not want that to happen. So make sure you have all your information together. And that is where we leave pre-approval for loans and uh, finding a lender. If you have any questions, you can always email us and we'd be glad to answer. Um, so now, credit do diligence Woo, lord have mercy so with credit due diligence for us ramon was more diligent than i was about about following things because i was like oh shoot i got these cards i want these pair of shoes i want this i want to go here and and you know just ball i was just trying to ball out but I was paying my credit cards uh, on time every month and I was paying above the minimum payments. I was still being responsible. However, I was always carrying a balance. Now that is, that was, that was something that we definitely had a chit chat with Bill about. And he, he did let us know how important it is, you know, that we had, uh, 100% on time payments for both of us. We had never been late on our credit card payments. At that time, we had car payments. Um, nothing. We were doing great. So let me let me really go into the. Okay, so wait a minute, because <laughs> Ramon... <laughs> look, <laughs> I don't want to say anything to incriminate myself. <laughs> so. Credit due diligence, what we're really saying with credit due diligence is exactly what it sounds like. 
being diligent with your credit when it's due. Being responsible. <laughs> being responsible because you really want to make sure that you got your ducks in order when you go to a lender because you really want to know, you really need to know what your credit looked like before you even leave the house. Mm-hmm. So what is that, annualcreditreport.com? Yes. And you can get out, you can print out one copy free of each credit bureau transunion experian and equifax those are the three main credit bureaus once a year you're able to print out your credit report and see what is on your credit i suggest anybody listen to this if you have not done that do it because there might be a duplicate of you out there and you don't know it right so duplicate of you and then i think we for the sake of transparency i'll say this we did go through bankruptcies God, so, why you, oh. so, a long, if, long, long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. So, if people are thinking, oh, I can't do it because of this, that, and the third, that's an excuse because we started this process. It would have been four or five years after our bankruptcy that we were, um, you know, purchasing a multi unit, a fourplex, and, um, like, as I said, we had on-time payments for our car payments, our credit cards, and um, we didn't have excessive debt. Uh, it, it wasn't excessive. It, it was... What do you mean by excessive? I mean, you know, you know how some people live totally beyond their means? Like, we could have had an apartment that was 3000 a month or mm-hmm. car payments that was $800 a month. We could have because there are people that you know that live on our salary what we were making at that time that were paying, you know, 2 to 3,000 a month to, you know, to live up to certain, you know, uh social expectations. But we were like, you know what? We're going to live frugal. We had um refinanced our vehicles. Well, I refinanced my vehicle so the payment would be lower. Uh, the interest rate would be lower, and my payment was lower. So let's go. Let, let, let's take it back a little bit. Rewind. Let's take it back a little bit. So credit due diligence. All right. So as she said, we had we did file bankruptcy some years back. Uh, we was irresponsible with our credit. Yes, you know, early twenties. Irresponsible. You know, you know, when you like, you probably heard people say, "Hey, you know, credit is better than money." And when you're younger, you don't really, you know, you like that. Don't even sound right. That that's stupid. I got money, so, you know, forget credit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you get older and you go through life and you go to try to get things, you get turned down enough and for a lot of stuff that, you know, you're like, okay, let me change this. You know, you, or if you do get approved for something, your interest rate is so high, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. So when, when we say credit, credit due diligence, like you said, print out your credit reports. Go through your credit report with a fine-tooth comb and know what's on your credit report. And then find out what your scores is. Now, as far as the credit scores, it's probably going to confuse you because there's so many uh, credit scoring models out there that I don't think anybody truly indeed knows what their actual credit score is because the bank (laughs) credit score is going to be different from what your car, uh, if you go to get a car with credit score, they're going to pull or if your credit cards, a lot of credit cards nowadays, you can get your credit score for free. Uh, there's sites like or apps like Credit Karma, uh, Credit Sesame, you know, where they'll give you your credit score for free. So you might have like eight different credit scores. The bank credit score is is based on a certain algorithm 
that I like it more than, excuse me, I like it more than anybody. So I look at Credit Karma and I can see my credit score. And I'm like, know that, okay, if I go to the bank, my credit score probably is higher than what this Credit Karma is saying. It just depends on, you know, how that goes. So long story short, get your credit report, know what's on there. If you guys have anything in collections, if you have any past due, if you have any liens, clean that up now. Yeah. Because what is going to happen is when you go into these these banks, when you go to talk to these limited and they pull your credit report, we don't need two people that's going to be surprised. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to know what's on your credit report. So when you hand them your credit report, you need to be like, hey, okay, now look, when you look at this, let me tell you what's on there. You know what I'm saying? Because they're going to want to know, and they're going to look at it, and they're going to be like, okay, yeah. Well, um, they pull their own credit report for you, too. They won't take what you walk in with. They'll look at it, but they'll pull their own because it'll show a lot of information on there, and it'll show what your credit score is, your FICO score, excuse me, and all that. So yes, the that. lender will have their own version of it. Exactly. Yeah, you can bring your credit report in there, but... You know, more than likely, whatever your credit report says from annualcreditreport.com is going to be what your bank pulls. It's just going to look different because they have their own format and how their credit reports look. Uh, so when we go to the bank and even before that, you know, when we filed bankruptcy, you know, I told Kendra that, look, this is a fresh start. You know, we messed up. We was younger. We didn't take credit, credit seriously. We didn't really know what it was and, and all of that stuff. This time around, we can't mess up. So, you know, I was, like she said, I was probably way more diligent with the credit than she was. And I was very, very serious about it. And even to this day. And, you know, when you look at your credit and you and you see if you got any late payments, if you got any collections or anything like that, call them up, schedule that, and try to get that paid off. You want your credit to look as clean as possible. Because that makes your whole your life a whole lot easier when you're going into these banks. And you don't want to go in there and get disappointed because you keep getting turned down because your credit looks like crap. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your credit score is important. But how your credit looks is, in my opinion, is even, even more important. So, you know, uh, with a lot of these, you know, these lenders, depending on what kind of loans you guys are going for, you know, you can get a loan. You can get a house with a 580 credit score with the FHA loan. So, you know, go through your credit credit report. Um, now, let me, let me side note, let me say this. When lenders are looking at your credit report and they're going to try to uh, pre-approve you for a loan, one of the main things with this is called debt-to-income ratio. And we're going to talk about this later. And we'll go more, I go more in depth on it, but debt to income ratio, what that really is, is what it sounds like. Your debt compared to your income, the ratio of that. So if you have a lot of debt and you don't have as much income, then you 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 <laughs> you're basically a higher risk. So um, with most lenders, with FHA, they will allow a loan to go through with a debt-to-income ratio up to 55%. Now, that's high. You have to have some some income, some serious income to get approved like that. But most lenders like to see, you know, that debt-to-income ratio 
max, I would say 40%. 43 is the highest to, for a DTI, debt to income ratio. So, um, and what that is really like, you know, most people, we got credit cards or, you know, we got car payments and stuff like that. They don't look at the balance of your debt, meaning you got a car loan that's $20,000. Uh, you got five credit cards and you owe 2000 on all of them. What the lenders look at, I mean, they look at that, don't get me wrong. But when they go to pre-approve you, what they're looking at is your monthly payments on those debts. So on your car, you might owe 20000 but you may only be paying $200 a month. Now, in most cases, you're going to be paying probably double that. But let's just say for the sake of this, you know, this argument you're, or this discussion, you're paying $200 a month. And your credit cards, you know, a lot of credit cards, your minimum payment is low. So you may owe $2,000, but your minimum payment might be $30. Mm-hmm. So you thinking if I got five credit cards and I owe 2000 on them each, that's $10,000. But my credit, my minimum payment is only $30 times five. That's $150 a month for $10,000 worth of $10,000 balance. My car loan is $20,000, but I only owe, pay $200 a month. So on $30,000 of debt, I'm only paying $350 a month. So, you know, you may think, dang, I got all this. I need to pay my car off and then you pay my credit cards off. And that's not necessary because depending on how much income you bring in, that might, that might still work. Mm-hmm. Again, the DTI, debt to income ratio for a borrower, the, the, the highest they want to go is 43%. Um, and you could still get qualified for a mortgage. Um, but lenders prefer lower than 36%. Um, so between 28 and 36%. The lower, the better. Yeah. The lower, the better. Mm-hmm. So, and then that would include your, you know, your rent or your mortgage or in your current home. If for some reason you currently own a home and, like Ramon said, credit cards, car payments, anything that you're paying monthly, whether it be something revolving or, you know, um, just a, a, a payment that you're making, you want to make sure that it's between 28 to 36%, which is preferred, but 43% is the highest. And that is circumstantial when you get, when you get into the 40, you know, between 40 and 43%. That is totally circumstantial because it just, like as Ramon said, it depends on how much your annual income is, or excuse me, your monthly income is. Um, so, and I think our debt to income was, uh, I think we were about 45. We was 45. 45%. And he had to, he had to uh, bill, he made suggestions of things that we could, you know, he was like, just pay that off. That's a good lender because a good, mm-hmm. you know, a good lender is somebody who, a good lender wants to make money. A good lender wants to make money uh, just like, you know, anybody. And, you know, in this business, in a lot of business, you're going to meet people who, who just don't seem like they want to make money. Mm-hmm. They, they'll just turn you down or just turn away from you and, you know, that's it. They won't try to make nothing work. Yeah, they'll tell you no without an explanation. And, and Bill, you know, he was one of those guys, you know, and 
he was kind of dry, you know, how he talking and everything. But, you know, like I tell Kendrick, you know, you know what? If you thorough and you can get the job done, like, I don't care how you sound, you know, within reason, you know, as long as you ain't disrespectful. But I don't care how you sound. And so, you know, he looked at our situation. He seen what we had. And, you know, I was kind of like, oh, man, I don't know if this is going to work. He's like, all right, you know what? Let me give you a call back real quick. And he'll call and he might ask me a question or two. And then he'll be like, okay, yeah, we can do like this. Pay this card off. And it was a couple credit cards we had that didn't have a real high balance, but the, the minimal payment was, was you know, a little higher. Mm-hmm. Like one credit card, I think we were paying like 98 a month. But the balance was, it was like $2,500, $3,000, some cra- mm-hmm. something like that. He was like, pay that off. You know, and I was like, what about my car? I could pay my, you know, try to pay my, he was like, no, nah, don't even worry about your car. He's like, you got these credit cards that have these little minimum payments, but they're adding up. Mm-hmm. So he was like, pay this one off, pay this one off. And it dropped our debt to income ratio just enough to, I believe, the 43%. He was at 43 Just yeah. enough that got us approved. On, Actually, approved. we were in the 50s. For yeah, yeah, I think we were. Yeah, yeah was, we were in the 50s. Yeah, we both, it was 56%. You know, yeah, we both had a little debt, you know, car knows, you know, all the rent, all that crazy stuff. So, uh, he, you know, Bill, man, I, man, Bill was, we'll talk about Bill, you know, a little later in some other podcasts, too. The dude, the dude was awesome. I ain't gonna lie. Uh, but, you know, again, with the credit due diligence, make sure you get your credit report, make sure that you're looking at it, you know what's on your credit, because half people don't know. What's on their credit? It's like they're scared to look at their credit. Mm-hmm. And you cannot be. I was one of those people. Yeah, you know, I, I, at some point I think I was too. but Because I just kind of knew. I was like, oh, my credit is janky. But, <laughs> you know, you got to look at it so you know what's on there. Because even though you might think that you can't get nothing done, there's somebody who, who can work with you. And they can tell you how to clean it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can tell you how to clean it up. Because, I mean, we've, we've gone, you know, from, I know I was low 500s. To you know, we we were we well over seven hundred. Yeah, we well over seven hundred. And you know that's just because of just everything that we've done. You know, and I like I said again, I'm very diligent with the credit. I do not like to miss no payments. We have not missed no payments, mm-hmm. uh, and just paying things off. And we was kind of strategic in the way that we're paying because we don't have any debt now. You know, well you got your you know your stuff. They can wait. Yeah. You know, I paid my student loan off because my pay it was a fraction of what she got. But you know, for the most part, we don't we don't have no no regular day. You know, we just you know household bill because we was diligent in things that we did to pay it off. And it was really seeing things ahead. So you guys look at a situation like now where we're going through this whole uh coronavirus, mm-hmm. a lot of people are struggling. And, and, you know, it's sad because they didn't prepare. You know, nobody's seen nobody this coming. Nobody for this. Nobody's seen this coming. Nobody, you know, <laughs> you're like, what the hell, coronavirus? Okay. And then, you know, it ain't just the country shut down or just the state, the world. And so you're talking about a lot of people who had businesses or had jobs that were dependent on certain things like travel or, you know, whatever. The restaurant business that, you know, they don't have anything coming in. Yeah, because currently I'm furloughed from my job and Ramon is still working. Now, had we not had this information that we are, you know, sharing, you know, for the world, we would be in a <laughs> in a very difficult predicament a lot where of we would be, you know, 
trying to live hand over mouth or hand what is that hand over fist mm. hand over fist i mean it would i might have put on some shorts and go outside yeah. you know, and, 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 and show some legs so, <laughs> because it, it, it would be difficult but you know because we have that passive income um from the properties coming in it, it makes it a lot easier. We could sleep a lot easier knowing that we've made the right decision. We paid off our debts. And yes. that was that was one thing that I've always Oh baby, and let I, me tell you that was hard. Dude. That was hard. <laughs> it was hard for her. It wasn't hard for me. <laughs> it was I'm like, we gotta pay there, this off. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even like to look at my credit card with a hundred dollars on it. I, yeah. I wanna pay it off. That's just how I got now to this point where I don't like to see balances on anything. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I didn't foresee uh, a coronavirus coming like this and shutting the country down, you know, shutting the world down. But things that we were doing that I knew that we were trying to do, I just always had a feeling of something that we need to pay the debt off. It doesn't, you know, forget putting the money in the, in the account and, you know, looking at it. We need to pay this debt off. Mm-hmm. It's going to help us for something. And it has, especially this. Because, you know, again, there's people out there that I know is struggling right now because they have those card notes and, you know, all those bills that they've accumulated that they've had, you know, they've been they've been okay. You know, they had a job. They was working. They was paying it off. But then what happens when you, you know, something like this and you can't control that and your job has to let you off. And it ain't just your job. It's 90, 95% of jobs in the country because yeah. it ain't much, that, you know, unless you're in the healthcare industry or, uh, you know, the airline industry or, which, you know, they're, they're getting hit too. So, you know, it's only a couple of industries where you can really make money, you know, you can consistently stay, you know, making, you know, your paycheck. But, you know, for a lot of people, man, I mean, if they didn't have a savings, I mean, you're really struggling. And so... I look back and I feel like we're really blessed because, you know, like I said, again, we didn't see this coming, but we just made certain decisions uh, in our life that, you know, really prepared us for this. And, you know, hopefully, you know, keep, you know, keep us prepared and, you know, if anything like this happens again. And I just hope that it's a wake up call for anybody out there, you know, whether you listen to this or not, you know, listen to this or, you know, if you don't apply what we're saying, at least prepare you know, yourself, you know, get you a savings, you know, pay some of those bills off. They're just sitting there paying off. Don't go out and go, don't be, you know, you have to sacrifice and, and you know, to sacrifice a lot of time is very, very difficult mm-hmm. because that means giving up maybe traveling, you know, going out to eat all the time or, you know, buying certain, you know, trinkets, new shoes, purses or whatever it is. You have to kind of just be, you know, just sacrifice even for a year. And so I'm not going to do none of that until I pay my bills off. And so, you know, that's really the gist of, of being due diligent with your credit is uh, clean it up. You know what I'm saying? Look at your credit report. Know what's on there. Know what your credit score is. You may not have to know it exactly, but at least have an idea. Because if you go up in that bank thinking you got a 650 and he pull up a 580, you're going to be shocked. Yeah. And you you gonna be mad too. Cause you be like, hold on, I thought my script no. Know what it is. You know what I'm saying? So all right, we talk we talk good on yeah, that one. I mean see, people are like, I know they're thinking, well, how could I have planned for that? Let me tell you what we did. 
So when we were living in that four unit, we lived on site of our quadplex, which was one of the requirements for what we'll talk about next, the FHA loan. And our tenants paid the mortgage and some of the utilities. Mm, We're both working. The yeah, they paid all the utilities, actually. Um, but we had to pay the taxes mm. at the end of the year, so it kind of evened out. But um, we were both working. And the income that we earned, the salary, excuse me, that we earned from our jobs, we were able to save for, you know, that just in case or, you know, with some jobs, people need that F you money where they just like, you know what? I can't do this no more. I don't want to work for anybody no more. F you, I'm out. I got my savings. You know, I'm going to do me. But uh, during that time that we lived on site, we were just you know, pretty much stacking our bread. Yeah, we yeah, we kinda was. And you know what? We got used to it. I was like, I ain't I ain't we ain't paying no rent. We ain't paying rent. Pay, we ain't paying no mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> like they paying it. You know, now right. don't get me wrong, it took some work, mm-hmm. you know, to not have to pay rent because, you know, you managing the property and you got tenants on site. And that was one of the worst parts that we lived there. So, you know, we had to see everything and deal with people and so but I, I wouldn't take it back. That's for a later podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't take it back. So, all right, yeah. So, next one, we're going to move on. Move on. FHA. We are going to talk about the differences between an FHA and a conventional loan. So, first, let me explain what an FHA loan is and the requirements. Um, and this is coming from FHA.com or uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, as people may know them. Um, the FHA loan is a federal housing administration loan, mortgage loan. So your FICO score must be at least 580. If it is at 580 or higher, of course, higher is better. Um, they require that you put 3.5% down. Also, with a with an FHA loan, you can have an FHA loan at between 500 and 579 credit score. They don't talk about that much. It's, it's circumstantial. Um, some lenders will work with those people, you know, work, work, work with those people um, that have lower credit scores, but that will require a 10% down payment. Um, so we'll say throughout the podcast that 580 is the minimum requirement because that's usually what you hear from lenders, 580 or higher with 3.5% down. Um, now you do have to have a MIP, which is a mortgage insurance premium that is included in your uh, monthly payment. Uh, basically that gives the bank insurance that you'll be able to pay for your mortgage every month. If you don't pay, they're they're insured on on your mortgage payment. Um, now, with that though, the MIP, the MIP is really the term for conventional loan. With the FHA, it's uh, it's a different term. PMI. PMI. Here we go. Mm-hmm. I, I PMI. Think. 
So FHA, they're the same thing though. Don't get me wrong, it's the same thing. It's just with FHA, it's a PMI, which is the uh, the mortgage. It's a mortgage insurance, mm-hmm. and then the MIP is the mortgage insurance. I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, it's it's no weird. PMI is for conventional. PMI is for mm-hmm. conventional. M- MIP because I'm looking at the I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. MIP mortgage insurance premium is for an FHA loan. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, hey, yeah, see. Wait, wait, wait. Look, I'm wrong. <laughs> see that? Look, I'm wrong. Okay. So, so BMI is FHA mm-hmm. and MIP. That's it, right? Yeah, MIP mm-hmm. is is uh, conventional. Is it MIP? Is FHA. FHA. Okay. You know, like, so it, it, it not even matter. And you know what's so crazy? Thing. Is they're the same thing. It's the same thing. It's they, the same exact they just, thing. They switch the same letters around and yeah. call it something different. So, but, <laughs> but you know, it, in all aspects, uh, with FHA, like she said, is the uh, the MIP. Uh, did I say it right? MIP? MIP. Yeah, 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 OPP. OPP. MIP. So, you know, it's basically... It's basically FHA, you paying them monthly for your loan, so you paying it's like you paying them twice because you paying the mortgage, but in the mortgage is an insurance payment. But what it is in case you default on that loan, then your loan is insured, so they don't lose out. And do you pay that for the life of the loan? You pay that for the life of the loan. Ooh, so Lord if it's thirty years, which is most you know residential, anything one to four units, you can have a. A thirty-year uh, loan, uh, amortized over thirty years, and what does amortize mean? Basically, that's just how long your your monthly payments is is uh, stretched over. So, you know, if you get into multifamily where you get the balloon loans and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, you get the amortizations of fifteen, twenty year, maybe even twenty-five years. So, the lower your amortization is the higher your, your monthly payment will be. Mm-hmm. It's the so, scheduled periodic payments mm-hmm. uh, that are applied to both principal and interest. Yes, ma'am. So with FHA, it's always going to be 30. Now, now we, also, we, let's finish the FHA requirements. We talked about the debt-to-income ratio. They want it to be less than 43%. Also, the home must be the borrower's primary residence. So you cannot have anything um, over a quadplex. So four, more than four units is a different type of loan. FHA, but, and we're not going to talk about this, but FHA, you can buy a multifamily apartment. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, ma'am. This is different terms, but you can. And FHA does have some loans where you can amortize it up to 35 years. But, you know, they they have straight, you know, guidelines, you know, because there's an FHA 203K loan, mm-hmm. which you use if you guys buy a, let's say you find a, a property. Rental. Let's say you go to Detroit where they got a whole lot of fixer-uppers. <laughs> and you're Bam. like, I ain't living in that. You know, <laughs> but FHA will give you a loan for the mortgage plus however much it costs for you to fix that property up. They'll put it into one loan, and then you'll pay just that one loan, mm-hmm. one payment. Uh, but with FHA, you know, like she said, you know, you can get anything between one and four units. So anything between a house and a four-unit uh, building, mm-hmm. you can use that FHA loan. Mm-hmm. So I hope everybody hear that again. I'm going to say it again. If you bought a house with FHA and you put 3.5% down, 
you can buy a four unit building for the same thing. FHA, three and a half percent down. Yes, and see, our four unit was a little bit different from everyone else's because we had two duplexes that sat on the same plot of land, the same parcel of land, uh, which we discussed in the first podcast. So that is, that's still required, or still required, that is still a, um, a four unit. The two, do- as long as it's on the same piece of land, because remember like, um, there were some properties that had like homes, like houses, four houses on the same parcel of land. And that was, mm-hmm. you could still, uh, you know, be approved for an FHA loan, um, for that piece of land with the four houses on it. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that it could work for you, but you can't have like a piece of land that has like four, four units. It wouldn't be anything like that because that would be 16 units. It would be like four single family homes. Is that, am I explaining that yeah, right? No, that, that's right. Um, but if you have four, <laughs> yeah, if you have four, four units, yeah, that's 16. That's mm-hmm. now you're talking about a commercial, commercial. Home. Home. So yeah. like she said, we had two duplexes, four units, two separate buildings on the same parcel of land. So because it was up to four units, we use the FHA loan. And like she said, with FHA loan, it has to be owner occupied. Yes. Which means you have to live on site. For at least one year. That's the requirement. At least 12 months. Yes. 12 months. And they will trust. They do make sure that you live there. Well, hold up. Well, yeah. I mean, I ain't about to tell y'all, you know what I'm saying, don't live. (laughs) But, you know, just just follow the rules, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying, to be on the safe side. You know, we don't want to give out no bad information. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the FHA and owner-occupied, so now let me, let me, there's a caveat to that. And here's the other requirement, too, of an FHA loan. So, so far we've talked about the credit score being at least 580 with 3.5%. The MIP mortgage insurance premium is required. Debt to income ratio at 43% or less. Um, the borrower must have a primary, must live on the primary residence of the home that they're borrowing on. Um, borrower must have steady income and proof of income and employment. <laughs> and the other, the other thing is not only do you have to live on site, but you need to... At least live in a property 50% of the year. Yeah, so if your job, if you travel, if you commute, like let's say you commute to Alaska or something half of the year because you work on the pipeline, you must live in that property that you receive the FHA loan at least 50% of the time. So that doesn't mean that if, you know, like she said, if you were commuting and you think, well, I can't, I don't live there all the time, I won't get that loan. You could as long as you leave there at least 50% of the time. And really with that loan, all they're trying to do is just make sure that investors don't take advantage of it. Yeah. Because they know that you'll buy the property, own occupied, and you're supposed to live in it for 12 months, and you're just using it to get the 3.5% down. So they just want to make sure that people are actually using it for what is you know what it's made for, you know, people to get into a home for a lower down payment. So at least 50% of the time you need to live in that home. Now, question for you. Sir. If 
I don't live in the property on the occupied FHA loan if I don't live there for at least 12 months, which is a required length of time. What is two exceptions to that rule? If you if your job locates you out of state, that's one. It has to be like over 200 miles. At least 100 miles. At least 100 miles. The other requirement is if you are expanding your families, having some bambinos. <laughs> so if you are in, <laughs> so if you have a, a one bedroom house and you're like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. You can tell the bank, look, we need a, you know, we need to upgrade. We got to do a two bedroom or a three bedroom. Mm-hmm. The bank will allow you to do that. Uh, they, now, what that's saying is that you can have more than one FHA loan. Now, the rule is you can never have more than one FHA loan, which is true. Unless, <laughs> as she said, you move uh, at least 100 miles away from that property. Or, as she said, your family expands, you have an extra baby or you adopt or whatever have you bring your, you know your your mom you're taking care of them or whatever mm-hmm. that's a that's a life change where you may need more room so you can explain that to the bank hey you know this change happened we saw a house that is now two bedroom or three bedroom we you know we want to use that and use the FHA loan again and you could get approved um but for you know for you know the sake of what we're talking about normal circumstances you can only have one FHA loan at a time. Yep. And now, if I buy a FHA, if I buy a property using FHA loan, how can I get out of the FHA loan? You can refinance into a conventional loan. Now, what is refinancing? Ooh, refinancing. We're going to talk about that in a later podcast because that... Just give them a quick snippet on what, what is refinancing. What does that mean? Basically, this, what you did to get the original loan for FHA, you're going to do it. Okay, so it's a conventional loan, and the conventional loan requirements are that you have a certain credit score. And that's between, it has to be at least six, 620 or higher for a conventional loan. So when you, re, after that first year that you've stayed in your FHA property, whether it be a single family unit, duplex, quadplex, triplex, whatever, you're gonna refinance out into a conventional loan. Now, a conventional loan requires that you put at least 20% down. There are exceptions that you could put less than 20% down, but we only talking about the, the 20% right now. Well, don't you can talk about what is the exceptions because you can, like you said, you can get a conventional loan with less than 20%. Yeah, but I'm talking about what we know about for sure. I mean, you know about all that stuff, so we'll I'll ask you the questions about you know the 595 and you know all that. But typically, a conventional loan is 20% down, so you'll be putting 20% down again. You need to have a credit score of at least. 620. It is not, you're not restricted like you are with Fannie and Freddie Mac. So the FHA loans, um, the guidelines are a little bit different also with the conventional loan. You (laughs) now here's where we got the confusion, the MIP and the PMI. Now 
you will have to you will have to have a private more it's a private mortgage insurance so a pmi mm-hmm. will also come with a conventional loan um now do i pay pmi if i'm putting 20 percent down no no i can't remember you know what i can't remember you do not on any conventional loan if you put at least 20 percent down you do not have to pay mortgage insurance mm-hmm. anything under 20 percent down you do have to pay mortgage insurance now what we didn't cover real quick, if you have an FHA loan and you're paying that mortgage insurance every month, let's say you're paying $200 extra towards your, including in your monthly payment, $200 of that is mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get that mortgage insurance back. You're just paying it to them for their insurance in case you ever default on your loan. So looking at that, you want to get that you, you don't want to pay that no more. You're like, man, I don't want to pay $200. How can I get out of that? There's a couple ways. One way is, or I should say the main way, is, well, two ways. One is you can wait till you pay your mortgage loan down enough to where you have at least 20% equity in your, in your property. Or you can buy in the area and hopefully it gains equity. Mm-hmm. They might build a Whole Foods around the corner <laughs> from your joint or, you know, they might start building something and, they, and it starts to be a good area where now the the prices, your equity in your home has risen to where let's say you bought that house for 200000 but now it's worth 300000 Well, you go in that bank and you say, hey, I want to refinance my loan and get out of this FHA so I don't have to pay this mortgage insurance no more. They're gonna go in. They're gonna kind of you're gonna kind of do the same process you did to get the home at first, giving them certain paperwork and everything, and then they're gonna do what they call an appraisal. Mm-hmm. The appraisal, the guy's gonna come out and he's gonna look at your house, and he's gonna do uh, look at what they call comps or comparables. He's gonna look at you know a few houses that you know is in the neighborhood not too far from your your house and see how much they were worth, how much have they sold for. And he's going to use that to see how much your house is worth. If he say, oh, you know, your house is worth about three twenty dollars now. You need to have, if you take $320,000 and you minus 20%, that'll give you the amount that your bank will refinance you at. As long as that is 20%, you can refinance out of the FHA loan into a conventional loan, and now you don't have to pay that mortgage insurance no more. And that lowers your monthly payment. Yes, and you know what? One thing that we forgot to mention is Freddie and Fannie, the FHA loans, are federally guaranteed. So they're a lot more competitive than conventional loans. Conventional loans have uh, tougher qualifications. Because they're not federally backed. Yeah, they're not federally backed. That's ba- You know, the bank is, is basically giving you a... <laughs> you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, it's, it's, it's basically like uh, investor's money. It kind of, kind of, kind of tell you like that. It's like investor's money. So it's not backed by anything. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have higher uh, uh, restrictions on that loan. Like you said, your, your credit uh, score, they're going to require that to be higher than what FHA might require. Um, you know, down payment. 
um, certain things like that because that loan, if you default on that loan, they don't have anything necessarily to recover for your default, whereas FHA, they do because that's why you're paying that mortgage insurance. Now, with the conventional loan, like she said, you do, the normal is 20% down, but you can also pay less. You can also put less down. Conventional loans, they have some where you can put as low as 3%. Mm-hmm. One of them, I believe, is called a homesteady loan. Now, when you talk about... That's con- our dog, just in case you hear scratching in the background. Yeah, he's bad. Now, when you talk about conventional loans, normally on a conventional loan, if you put anything less than 20% down, that's on a house. Normally, 3 5%. But there is some lenders out there where you can buy up to a four-unit building with 10% down conventional mm-hmm. you know but you'll still pay your mortgage insurance because you're putting less than 20 percent down so i just want to throw that in there but we're not gonna really talk about that a whole lot uh conventional mortgage borrowers typically make larger down payments as we said before and have secure financial standing and are at low risk of defaulting on their loans that's why they have a pmi uh, the private mortgage insurance instead of a MI or MIP. Um, MIB. MIP. 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 <laughs> Anyways, all right, let's go to our last subject. You know what I'm saying? We're going to talk everybody here, though, but we want to make we, sure we cover everything. I think we we've covered everything. We've yeah. covered, as I said before, the five segments of this episode pre-approval for a loan uh as well as finding a lender credit due diligence fha and conventional differences differences excuse me uh debt to income ratio uh lender requirements yeah and credit increase for pre-approval we've covered all that now again um we we've done fha loans and we've also you know, done conventional loans. Um, so, and we've worked with hard money lenders also. Um, so we kind of have an array of experience when it comes to different types of lending, but we're starting off slow now, um, as far as the process that we went through. So when we got our pre-approval, we did our first pre-approval with Mike, whom we fired because he was terrible. And then we found a much more scrupulous and um, just more experienced lender with Bill. Um, so he was able to get us the pre-approval letter that we needed to make an offer on a four unit. And the, uh, during that time, um, we were pre again, we were pre-approved for an FHA loan with 3.5% down and we used um uh we used you know our down payment our money from our savings our 401k excuse me to uh pay the down payment for the fha loan um our lender went through our debt to income we were originally at 56 percent, and he brought us down to the <laughs> to the uh requirement of 43%. No, it was less than 43%. It was about 43%. It was 40, yes. So it was somewhere in the lower it was, it 40s. It was just enough to get that loan. It, yes, it was just enough to get that loan. And that was good. That was um, 
And mm-hmm. and he, you know, we had, uh, as Ramon said, you know, prior to us getting the pre-approval, we did our, you know, credit due diligence where he, Ramon, went through with a fine-tooth comb and looked at our credit, you know, as as a lender would, basically, and said, okay, this is what we need. This is what we need to pay off. This is what we need to do. So we were very strategic prior to going to the lender for that pre-approval letter, getting that FHA loan and, you know, learning what our debt to income needed to be. During that time, Bill did all the uh, credit inquiries for the pre-approval. So he ran our credit. He got to see exactly what it was that Ramon and I were discussing with him, you know, things that we were like, okay, well, what should we do? What should we pay off? As Ramon said, he was originally, Ramon was originally thinking that he should pay off his car and Bill said, no, don't pay your car off. Pay these cards off. Pay the credit cards off because it makes more sense to do that because those credit card payments are more than your car payment. And if you have that money, he's like, why would you pay your car off? It's only 200 and something dollars. Let's pay those credit cards off. And that's what we did. Um, now, I'll also say there are places that you can go for down payment assistance that 3.5% it doesn't sound like much when you say 3.5% for an FHA loan compared to a conventional loan at 20%. We did go through, I don't want to say we did go through a process, but we went to a um, down payment assistance course with the Urban League. So they offer, you know, um, it, for first time home buyers with a certain annual salary. Um, you can get down payment assistance because sometimes that down payment can be 30, 40, 50 uh, to a hundred thousand. And you may not have all that money. You may have some of it, but not all of it. Um, there are ways that you can come up with that 3.5%. Um, again, you can do a down payment assistance program. Uh, you can some, in some cases you could do a second mortgage (laughs) because some people will do that. Um, a second mortgage to help pay for their down payment. Um, you can borrow money from family, but you have to have proof that you borrow money from family and friends. Um, there's well, a- yeah, because with the FHA loan uh, and even conventional, you are allowed to receive the down payment as a gift. So if your three and a half percent down is let's say ten thousand. Someone can give that to you as a gift. Mm-hmm. But they cannot get that money back. Yeah, they can't get the money back. Now, they might want the money back somehow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all figure that out. But they can't, you know, because, you know, oh, let me also say this real quick. When you find your property, when you find that house, whatever it may be, and you get it under contract, and we'll talk about this more in depth when we, you know, we'll have a separate, you know, podcast where we talk about being under contract and things that you're going to go through. But you want to make sure that you don't do anything when you're under contract. When I say anything, what I mean, don't go buy no new car. Don't go uh, make no big purchases on your credit Major card. purchases. Mm-hmm. Don't go and try to get approved for anything, meaning don't have anybody pull your credit for anything. Because you will kill the loan. You will kill the deal. You will kill the deal because no lender wants to see that because they don't want you shopping around 
they look at that as being frivolous with your credit, and again, they will you will kill the deal. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. So again, during the uh, during the closing process, basically, um, you want to make sure that you're not doing anything excessive. Don't change your life during that time. Don't quit your job. <laughs> you know, um, if you change yeah. jobs. There, if it's in the same, I know uh, in some cases, if it's in the same industry, they don't really determine that as a significant change. Don't but, quit. Don't get fired. Yeah. Don't change nothing. Don't change Whatever nothing. your situation was when you went to that lender to get pre-approved, don't change it yeah. until you close. Now, once you close, you go do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But don't change anything while you're on the contract. Yeah. All right, y'all. So that is the end of our show. We appreciate and love that you have taken the time out of your day to um, allow us to season you with some G-A-M-E. So thank you very much for your time. This is the Slow Wealth Podcast. Success lives on elevation. Again, we can be reached at invest at slowwealth.com. Please remember to subscribe. This is Kendra. And Ramon. He said